0: Hello and welcome to Solid Steps Radio. Thank you for listening. I am Chad Russell. I'm the co-host of this lovely little ditty called Solid Steps. And Solid Steps is a radio show for men by men, talking about things from a man's perspective. And I'm sitting here across from my co-host Kurt Souter of Further Still Ministries. How are you doing this morning, Kurt? Doing well, man. Good. We are. Uh, we have been doing this now for a hundred plus shows. We've uh, we've talked about. It's been fun too. Yeah, it has been it has been a good time, and enjoyed doing it with you. <laughs> And uh, the name Solid Steps uh, is not by accident. We believe that you men and ladies, we know the ladies listening too, but we are talking to the guys primarily on this show. And we, The term Solid Steps came about that we believe that every man was destined to walk with God and be in relationship with God. And you do that through Jesus Christ. And taking steps in your life of the journey of life, and everybody's on a journey in different places in their paths, and some people walk down valleys, up hills, and it's it's a it's a it's a journey, right? It is a journey. So, we're talking about all kinds of different topics pertaining to men and ladies again, but we're talking about it from the men's perspective. And today is a topic that I think is is incredibly uh, common, but uncommon in, in conversation, and bringing it up. And I have a theory, and it's not exactly brain surgery. Uh, you don't have to be uh, brilliant to come up with this theory. But uh, if you, listening to this show, if you took the greatest memories of your life, the worst memories of your life, the biggest pains, the biggest pleasures, the, 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 who was the most influential person, good or bad, in your life, I think the majority of people would say their father was good or bad. Mm-hmm. And the people who who could say, "Man, I really went down a wrong path." A lot of times they'll reverse that path right back to the foot feet of their dad, meaning raising them up and pointing them in a direction. Again, good or bad. So today we're going to talk about not just the theory of that, but the real life story about a man who questioned who his father was and why, and how it came back full circle.
1: Chad, you know, I, I think you're exactly right, because, uh, you know, growing up in a Christian home, I, I have had great respect and admiration for my dad, and uh, our, our guest today um, had, some, had a different perspective, and yeah. I, I think, uh, Chuck, we're, we're just thrilled to have you. Dr. Chuck Tackett, welcome back to the show. Thank you, guys.
2: Great to be back with you.
1: You know, Chuck, you you have a story to tell, and we want to hear that story about uh,
2: you you didn't grow up in a Christian home. Yeah, that's true. I I describe my home as being a moral home in so many respects. You know, uh, early on, Dad uh, taught my brother and I uh, that you didn't smoke, drink, or chew or go out with girls that do. (laughs) I think if you're a guy, you understand that. If you're a woman, you might be a little bit insulted by that term. Um, however, that was the kind of home that I grew up in. You know, uh, it was moral in so many respects. Uh, and yet there was, um, you know, a dad who could be really, really good when he was good. And when he was bad, he was bad, you know, uh, and so I guess for me, guys, the, the first memory I have that pointed that out to me is I was five years old um, in 1960. And my dad, who grew up basically destitute as a child and as a teenager, um, felt great pride when he could buy me a bike. Mm-hmm. And I had this beautiful candy apple red huffy bike. And I still remember that thing. It was a very, very beautiful bike. And so uh, dad had to teach me how to ride my bike. Um, So he picked one night uh, in the summer, and we went out in front of our house on uh, Wake Avenue in the little uh, township called uh, Riverside, uh, just uh, east of Dayton, Ohio. And um, we went out, and uh, Dad taught me how to ride the bike, you know. And the typical way you do that as a dad is you get behind your kid, and you hold the seat while they, you know, go down some hill or something. And and, uh, you just, you're right there holding the bike as they go. And so I learned to ride my bike that night with my dad. Um, and that was, I mean, that was one of the still, to me, one of the greatest days of my life uh, because I could see the smile on my dad's face. He, he mm. felt pride in the fact that he was able to improve his lot in life and able to do something like buy a bike for, for his kids. Uh, and, and I could just see that in dad's eyes. And so I took great care of, of my bike. Um, and it was a point where dad and i could connect so every night as dad came home from the cement plant in fairborn ohio um in his car which was a, a ford galaxy 500 <laughs> big old tank okay and uh i would be waiting at the corner of wake avenue and uh then dad would uh you know i'd see the car coming and as soon as dad turned the corner onto our little uh, dead-end street then uh I would race dad home, and so I would be flying down the sidewalk just uh, racing to, to see if I could beat dad home. Well, uh, you're never going to beat a car home if you're on a bike, okay? <laughs> you know, And so I would always then take my bike and park my bike right behind dad's car because I wanted to be just like my dad. Mm. That's what I wanted, and I think the vast majority of especially sons want to be just like their dad, and so I parked my bike right behind this big, massive you know, Ford Galaxy 500. And, um, on this occasion, when I realized that, um, my dad wasn't just one person, he was really two people. Um, I parked my bike as I typically would right behind his car, uh, went in the house. Dad, uh, we had a typical greeting. Dad, uh, you know, was five nine, one seventy At that time I was five. So I was a really tiny kid. And, and I would go in, I would hug dad's leg, and he would pat my head, and, uh, and we'd talk for a few seconds. And then he would give mom a hug and a kiss, uh, and then he would greet Ron. And, uh, and so on this day, dad said, hey, hey, Chuck, I want you to go into the living room, uh, family room, and clean up your toys. And um, so I popped my shoes off, and we had hardwood floors, and uh, went what my brother and I called sock surfing, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we just, you know, we would have these nice socks, and we'd just slide all over the floors. That was that was in our way in Dayton, Ohio. That was our surfing. Okay? That was your that was your entertainment. That was entertainment. <laughs> I mean, it was a, a no technology back then. Uh, at that time, I think there were only two TV stations in our community. So when the president was on, you got to watch nothing else, okay? <laughs> so uh, so I did that and. Um, on this occasion, Mom sent Dad uh, was going to send Dad back out to the uh, uh, little grocery store around the corner, uh, you know to buy some bread and some milk for supper that night, and so she sent Dad out. Um, Dad got in the car right away and backed out over my bike. And when he backed out over my bike, my handlebar went into the base of the gas tank, and 20-some gallons of fuel spilled into the backyard of our neighbors. Which was about three houses, and so we lived up a little bit higher than every neighbor. And if you're a river kid like my dad was, uh, you never take the low ground because that always floods. You know, so we always had houses that were above everybody else. Um, and um, so the gasoline just started not, filling not, in the yards. Not below a pretty us. picture here. Not a pretty picture. And uh, this is 1960. Everybody smoked. You know, everybody smoked especially in our neighborhood and uh so dad sees and understands that the gas is just coming out in a flood out of the back of the of his gas tank and he gets livid i mean he loses his ever-loving mind and he runs in the house and starts screaming for me okay and then mom starts yelling at him and say it and says richard he's just trying to be like you he's just trying to be like you and dad said i'm gonna get him and i'm gonna and i'm gonna spank him in a way i'm gonna beat him in a way that he'll never forget this day um and so then mom distracts him and she says richard you've got to go back outside you've got to make sure that nobody smokes with this gas this i mean it's now it's in three neighbors yards it's already starting to kill the grass you know and uh uh, and so she distracts him, and Dad's afraid that we're going to have, you know, the whole block's going to get on fire, you know. And so he runs back outside to just not start knocking on doors and telling people what's happened. Um, and then Mom runs into the family room, and uh, she tells Ron, my brother, my older brother, uh, that they needed to hide me. And so they put me upstairs in a closet and buried me, buried me in boxes and in clothes. And for the next four or five hours, you know, uh, dad would come in intermittently. And let me just say, when dad was angry, you heard him. He could be a half mile away and you would still hear him, you know. And so I'm up in the closet hiding, uh, not saying a word. And, and now you really know what's, uh, you know what's happened. Oh, I know what's happened. Yeah. And are you, yeah, how, cause I could hear my dad screaming it. So I knew exactly what had happened. How scared are you? And I'm terrified. Because if he gets a hold of me, I'm not going to ever forget that. And the reality is I haven't ever forgotten it, and he never got a hold of me. So for four or five hours, Mom does this dance with Dad to keep him outside. Um, and back then, the way that you dealt with a fuel spill is you just poured water on it, and it went down in the sewer, okay? <laughs> and that's just what you did. Uh, it wasn't high-tech back in 1960s, guys, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so uh, you just diluted it, and that's what they did. And, and um, mom really that night, I've always been thankful for mom, mom really protected me that night. And she kept dad from beating the Ever-Living Daylines out of me. Mm. You know, And that's when I knew. That's when I knew I had two dads, not one. A dad that you wanted to be like and then a dad that you didn't want to be like. A dad who was safe to be with on some occasions and a dad who could
0: in less than a second destroy your life. Mm. Well, we're going to take a break and uh, hear more of this. It's a riveting story, and I got a feeling if you're listening to this, guys, that you hear a little bit of your life somewhere in there, maybe not to that extreme, but you hear a little bit Mm -hmm. of truth in your life in that story. So we're going to come back. In a minute, and hear more of Chuck's story on Solid Steps Radio. Welcome back to Solid Steps Radio. I'm Chad Russell, and that's Kurt Souter, and we are talking today with Chuck Tackett. And the first segment, he told a story of uh, being a youngster and with his father, and and said he, he, at age five, he knew he had two dads, one that was Um, happy and one that was on the exact opposite extreme of that and we're going to hear more about that story here shortly we want to thank our sponsors though carol rogers carpet one ellen and credit union and bright star home care all of those folks are partners with us and into the community so if you ever have any need please look into and uh, call our sponsors and and uh, tell them you heard it on solid steps radio so, Chuck, you,
1: you got this experience when you're five years old. You, you really understand that you're, you're scared of your dad. Yeah. How, how do you go forward as a little kid?
2: Well, as a little kid, you you just develop this, you know, radar system in where you really learn to scan your dad. In your heart, you just feel afraid all the time because you don't ever know, are you going to do something? Are you going to say something and he's going to lose it or... Or will your siblings do something or say something and he'll lose it? Or will, you know, your mom say something or do something and and he'll lose it, you know? And so you grow up with the basic emotion of fear. Uh, And so you become vigilant. You're constantly watching what you're doing and what you're saying. And how to make sure you please him and make sure you... No, not not necessarily please him. For me, it was just just stay out of his way. Mm, Okay. You know, just try to stay off his radar. You know, and, and, and then so when you do that, you become detached. You really don't have, you know, a relationship with your dad at that point in time uh, because you, you cannot have a relationship with that and love that which you fear and are detached from. So as a kid, I grew up with the, with the seed of love and care and concern for my dad. And yet, because of that experience and others, you know there's no way in the world i could be connected with him so there was this fear and there was this detachment from from my dad and that was just life it's just the way that it was you know now it wasn't that on every occasion dad was evil you know it wasn't that he did wrong on every single occasion there were some occasions where dad was 100% right you know so one of those examples would be uh, in my community, uh, when I was a seventh grader, uh, the community, community wasn't up in arms, uh, but it was, just, it was talking a lot about the whole concept of sex education in the school. Mm-hmm. And so in our little township of Riverside, uh, they brought sex education into the school, but in a modified way. And so we had uh, two nights in the summer, on two, two, two Tuesday nights in the summer, where dads and their sons would go to this sex education class at night, and the, it was taught by the local physician. Um, and then we did that on Tuesday nights, and then on Thursday nights, the girls and the mothers in the community would went to the sex education class. And so um, it just shocked me that dad was loving and caring and understanding about that. Hmm. He treated me with dignity and respect and... Uh, And we had great discussions about what do you do as, you know, as a teenager? What do you not do as a teenager? You know, and so dad taught me that you don't go out there and have sex with girls. You just don't do it. You wait for that until you get married and you don't have sex with the woman you're engaged to. You just don't do that. You know, you wait until you get married. You know and here's my dad lost as the day as long in alaska in the middle of summer but he's got this moral compass to him hmm. you know and and he and he said the basic reason you don't chuck is you got to think about the girl and you as as a, as a teenager have a responsibility to protect her and protect her reputation and i'm sitting there and i'm thinking this is coming out of my dad you had to be confused yeah yeah it's as i said when dad was good he was good when dad was bad he was bad you
1: know so you you got to be guarded and All yet the time. and yet you you as a as a son you had to be longing to want to be with him but you also right. had this great fear of him right chuck right. You, chuck you tell the story of
2: um when you're a teenager right uh, the most difficult day when I was a teenager um, uh, came from a rule that my dad had when I was a sophomore in high school. And the rule was, you got to understand, this is the early 70s, okay? And if you didn't have hair on your shoulders as a guy, you, you were just going to take a beating in school, okay? That's just the way that it was. <laughs> and so my dad had this rule, and it was called, Ron and I called it the white wall rule, okay? And the white wall rule meant dad had to see an inch of skin above the ear and every two weeks we got a haircut didn't matter what was going on every two weeks we got a haircut and so he would start after we got the haircut he would he would set us down and he would just kind of look at the look at our ears and make sure the the hair was cut close enough to the head and that it was off the collar line in the back at least by an inch and i mean really he would check from the left ear all the way down over the collar through the right ear and make sure there was at least an inch. Man, I just it just got to me one day. I just couldn't take it anymore. The, I, so, I, I'm,
1: be, I'm being completely controlled by my dad.
2: Uh, well, controlled by what he could see and know. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> I also learned that if you really wanted to do something in life, don't tell dad and don't tell mom. Okay. <laughs> it kind of taught me when you got a dad that's unreasonable and loses sometimes uh don't get caught okay (laughs) and so for a while in life that's the way i live my life i didn't do any terrible or awful things i wasn't criminal or anything like that i just made sure i went where i wanted to go but got back in plenty of time and made sure that i was with guys who could keep their mouths shut okay so so on this occasion what what's going on is um i my brother and i go to the barbershop uh Ron gets his haircut exactly like dad has ordered. I get in the barber chair, and I tell the barber, I don't want it cut that way. I just want a very light trim so that everything is even. And the barber's starting to lose his mind because he knows my dad, okay? <laughs> and he starts talking to me about the rule of the haircut, the white wall rule. And I told him, I said, I'm not going to do that tonight. Okay, not going to do that today. Uh, and so he says, okay, Chuck, I'll do it your way. And I paid with my own money. You know, And so um, I get the hair cut just like I wanted to get it cut, and I go back home that night, uh, walk right into my room, and I'm in my room until it's supper time. Uh, Dad, our mom calls us all to supper, and I sat down. Um, and Ron and Dad sat on one side of the table together. Mom sat uh, at the head of the table because it was near the oven, and I sat on the other side of the table, always straight across from Dad. And so Dad is sitting there, and we're eating spaghetti and meatballs. Good garlic bread. That's still a meal I love to this very day, okay? (laughs) Uh, And uh, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, Dad leans to his left, and I can tell he's looking at my right ear, and then he leans to the right, and I can tell he's looking at my other ear. And then he grabs his fork with the, the prongs pointing up, slams his hand against the table, And uh, since this is Christian radio, I'll have to modify what he actually said, you know. And he said, boy, you didn't get the haircut I told you to get, did you? And I looked him straight in the eye, Kurt, like I'm looking at you right now. And I said, no, I did not. And then he stands up, takes his fork, slams it against the table. it goes ricocheting in front of my brother's face and hits a cabinet door in the kitchen. And he goes jogging down the hallway to the, to their bedroom and i'm a teenage kid i keep eating you know i'd seen my dad lose it before i just keep eating and so uh it was good food you know so why not keep eating right <laughs> you know uh so i do that but but you also know i mean he is livid uh, he's lost his mind he's he livid rageful however you want to describe it that's where dad's at and so as i'm eating i'm listening and in, the, in their bedroom, they had solid wood floors. And all of a sudden, I start hearing little pieces of metal hitting the solid wood floors. And then I hear a click. And then I know. Dad comes running down the hallway back into the kitchen. And he's standing there. And his right leg is completely and totally straight. His right arm is completely and totally plastered up against his leg. And he starts screaming at me and ordering me that I'm going to get a haircut and I'm going to get that haircut now. And if not, I might not be here by morning. And he goes bounding out the front door of the house, gets in his car, and peels rubber out of the community. And so I keep eating. He's left. Okay, I'm going to keep eating. And Mom goes down the hallway uh, to the bedroom. Uh, she looks in the cabinet where Dad kept the pistols. And she comes back down the hallway, and she says, Boys, we got to go. Dad's taken the 357 with him. And Dad had a 357 Magnum.
1: Now, w- w- did you see it in his oh, hand? Oh, I'd seen the 357
2: many times. Yeah, but did you see it that, that when you are eating? I didn't see it in his hand. No, you didn't. He kept it plastered up against his leg, but I knew he had it. And I knew the metal falling on the solid wood floors was... The bullets. Was the bullets. I knew that. You know, if you'd ever dropped a bullet, and, and Dad and, and I had gone out shooting before, and so I knew the sound of when you drop bullets. What, I mean, I knew exactly what was happening. And so Mom comes down the hallway, she says, that's what's going on. And, and then...
0: And then... We're gonna pick up. We're gonna pick it up because we need to take a break. Let's call it cliffhanger. So we're gonna come back in the next segment, and this story uh, takes a turn, uh, and and it comes back around full circle. And anyway, uh, we're gonna hear more of Chuck's story, and really the story about his father and him, and how that affects him to this day, on Solid Steps Radio.